Another Way to Play, episode 104. Somewhere along the way, we've forgotten that people come first. They really come first. You're right. We've got Zoom and all these other ways to connect. And yet people feel disconnected. It's not about the technology. It's about how we as people use it. So, you know, in terms of speaking to this mindset, I have it that as people, we're so focused, first and foremost, on the experience that we have. What's happening to me? How are you treating me? What is going to be for me? What's mine? How am I going to get what I need? If you put that aside for a moment, just focus on the experience you're delivering. Things will happen the way you want them to happen because people will feel the way they need to feel to perform. This is Danny Hadas, founder of the Emovation Project. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Struzina, Olympic athlete turned top producing Bay Area realtor. I believe that your success or failure is determined by your ability to compete and win when it comes to your mindset. Twice a week, I talk with other high performers to share the lessons and inspiration that allowed them to blow the roof off their success. So get ready to have some fun, be inspired, and most importantly, learn the skills you need to win in your own life. Welcome back to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Strazina, and I believe that your success or failure is determined by your ability to compete and win when it comes to mindset. For those of you who've been listening to the show for some time, uh, you probably noticed that we are uh, sound a little different now, and we are taking the show in a slightly different direction, and we are going to start digging in on mindset specifically uh, with some of the other top performers who I bring on the show. For those of you who are new, welcome. Really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, today, you're in for a real treat. I brought my buddy Danny Haddis on the show. He is the founder and CEO of the Emotivation Project. Now, if that sounds like a typo, it's not. He's talking about um, innovation coming from emotion and using uh, feelings and uh, the ability to connect on a human level to help companies large and small achieve their dreams. He's had some pretty serious clients as a consultant in his career, including Disney, BMW, AT&T, Johnson & Johnson, to name a few, Um, and then ultimately realized, which he talks about in this episode, that there was a disconnect between uh, some of the work he was doing and the implementation, which was ultimately the responsibility of the employees. He's really got an amazing story and a huge passion for what he's doing. Uh, One thing that kind of flows through the entirety of our conversation, and it's a concept you want to think about, is think about a typical graph like what you learned in elementary school. X-axis, Y-axis. On the Y-axis is your personal level of satisfaction, 1 to 10, 10 being high, of course. Most people are focused on that is what Danny tells us, but the real driver of that number is what's on the x-axis, which is the way that you make other people feel, and that is really kind of a hard thing for a lot of people to grasp, he finds, and that is at a very core level what he teaches and what we're going to get into in this podcast, so stay tuned for all of that. 
If you're getting value out of this, guys, whether you're a longtime subscriber or you're a brand new one, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Would really appreciate it. It really helps me know what I'm doing well, what you're liking, what I can change, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I do read all those reviews. So thank you for those of you who've done it. And for those of you who haven't, please uh, head over there if you're getting some value. And without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring him in. Here is my interview with Danny Hattis. Danny, welcome to the show, man. Really appreciate you being on with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Like I said, let's just get into it. Let's talk about that mountain you've climbed. Let's talk about the thing that you're, you're really working on and like that you're here to talk about and share with us today. Sure. Well, the big mountain was leaving corporate America in favor of building my own company called the Emovation Project. And that was the big mountain. And coming from a background where all I thought was to work my way up the ladder, this was a major departure from that path. So I'd say that was the major mountain to climb for sure. And you came from a background, you, I mean, you were working with some really major brands as a consultant and working your way up through, you know, I'm not, we're talking like BMW and some, some really big brands that everybody knows, right? So you took that pivot into Emovation Project. That's right. I was working with brands like BMW, Disney, AT&T, Johnson & Johnson. The list goes longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of, lot of really big brands for sure. A lot of big brands. Uh-huh. Well, dude, like, I'm really excited to get into that. But before we do, I just want to back up and build the context of how you got there. Because a lot of people see the end result and see the resume with BMW and Johnson & Johnson on it. But a lot of people probably don't know how you did it. So let's back it up. Let's talk about where your story actually began. <laughs> when you ask that question, I actually get present to something kind of funny. So, you know, it starts with me getting into consulting, but that has a funny, funny beginning. And the funny beginning is after watching the movie, The Recruit in high school with Colin Farrell and um, I can't remember the other guy's name, Al Pacino. Um, I had it that I was going to be a CIA operative. That's what I wanted to do with my life. That's why I majored in political science and economics that's why I minored in what I minored in. And, you know, by junior year, I was applying to full-time positions with the CIA wow. and gathering contacts to, uh, to support my case for a role there. But I never heard back from them, mm. ever. Never, not once. <laughs> I remember, no, I remember, being, I remember being in the, uh, the CIA actually shows up to the career fair at Penn State when I was a student there. And I was so nervous that I went up to other companies that I wasn't interested in just to practice saying hello and walking up to them. And I just, I was just so frightened and I never, ever heard back from the CIA. Never once, never, never heard back from them. But there I am, I'm a senior in college and I have no job offer, no job applications. And I missed, missed the boat with the career fair. And my cousin had been in consulting and I thought it was cool that, you know, I grew up watching him on his laptop and said, so, I, you know, I want to try that. I want to get into consulting. And, uh, I graduated without a job offer because I missed the boat. So did you not actually go and introduce yourself to the CIA guy or did you actually do that at the career fair? Actually, you know, it's funny. All I remember is being frightened and walking up to other companies. I don't remember going up to the CIA. I probably didn't even say hello. I was so scared. I did apply. Uh -huh. I did apply, but I don't think I ever actually introduced myself to people there. I didn't know what to say. I think I was so frightened. Uh, that's kind of who I was back then. I was really scared. 
I think everyone as you're thinking through that has that moment of like, should I go say hello? Should I, oh, they, they have my resume. I'm good. I put my photo on that. They don't need to see my face. Like we come up with these crazy excuses in the moment, but you know, as you said, you didn't hear back from them. So maybe that was the reason why, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but that's because I didn't get into the CIA, I got into consulting. And so before the end of the summer uh, that I graduated, I had a job offer with Accenture and got started in my big consulting experience. That's, that's what happened. I started with a big pharmaceutical company and within two years I was working, supporting Disney on one of their most impressive, huge projects ever in their history. And then um, left Accenture, you know, maybe a year and a half after that experience, after working with Mattel and then jumped into a smaller consulting firm and worked with Comcast and AT&T and Johnson and Johnson, just like, you know, on and on and on smaller consulting firm where I really focused on, this is kind of where the innovation project yep. comes to come into the picture. I'm working at a, a small boutique consulting firm that's exclusively focused on customer experience. And I am leading a $15 million customer experience transformation for a really prestigious automotive brand. And there we are, we're, we're being paid top dollar to make good on this promise to differentiate the experience that this automotive brand delivers through the experience people have in the dealership. And we're, we're there, we're in this amazing, amazing environment, beautiful facility. The electricity is just in the air and everyone's buzzing with excitement. We're co-creating these inspiring experiences. Oh, this is what it's going to look like in the future. And then someone turns around and I hear him say, yeah, I'm not going to do this. And I said, well, excuse me, what? He said, yeah, I'm not doing this. Yeah, see, you know, you're asking me to treat people in a way I don't get, ha I don't get treated half as well as what you're asking me to do here. My managers don't treat me half as well as this. I'm not doing it. And I suspect a lot of other people aren't going to do it either. And he was right. You know, even though we did a tremendous job, even though our work was outstanding, there was one thing that was between what we were doing and the customer experiences that we were promising, which was the people who deliver them, yeah. the employees, the employees. and that's when the light bulb really hit me. We were making this promise that we all intended to keep, but you can't deliver a really great customer experience without accounting for the people who are going to deliver that experience. That's the employees. And if they're not taken care of first and foremost, you don't have a shot at the customer experience you want. And that's how the Emovation project was born. You know, these people were telling me they felt unrecognized. They felt unappreciated. They felt undervalued. Mm -hmm. It was all about how they felt their feelings prohibited them from performing the way mm -hmm. they wanted to perform. And so Emovation stands for innovation powered by emotions mm -hmm. in the realm of leadership. If you can lead by focusing on how you want your people to feel, their performance will come. That's how I ended up where I'm at. That's how it got started. Oh, man. I remember when we had our, our pre-chat, you told me that story and I thought it was so powerful because it could feel that experience. And I've been in sales roles myself where I've felt something similar where the management says, you know, go sell this thing, do it this specific way. And I'm like, mm, yeah, no, A, you don't know what it's like to actually have these conversations with the client and B, like, you're just telling me to do it with no, with no real intention. And you're not really supporting me to do it well anyway. So I'm just going to do it the path of least resistance way and hopefully, you know, make enough sales to put food on the table and be done. Right. Like even, even people who have the best intentions and are generally high performers and are really excited and go getters. Like if they're not managed well or not incentivized well or treated well and 
in your case here um, with your story, they're, they're just not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. And it's not because there's anything wrong. It's not like they said their management and their leaders were bad. They were just really clear. Hey, look, you're putting this thing in front of me that you want me to do. And I have no idea what that would be like. I just don't want to give that kind of performance. I don't want to provide that kind of experience. I don't know what it'd be like for me to be treated that way. So I'm just not going to do it. And that's, it's really, you know, Hans, I have it that this is such a pervasive experience for so many people. They're asked to do something that would never be done for them. And so they just rather not do it. They'd rather not do it. And you know, what's interesting about that. And I, I think about this a lot in, in a lot of different contexts, but, but nonetheless, it comes back to this, which is, it's sort of shocking to me that with all the technology we have and all the brilliant connectivity and the brilliant, uh, to the, all the amazing minds and we have social media and we have phones and we have email and we can all just, and Zoom, we can all connect in these ways, but yet there's all these inefficiencies to be solved. And, and the common denominator is always people. And that's obviously one that you recognize in this specific situation, but I think it comes back all the time. It's like, there are really smart people who are coding and who are creating software and hardware and, you know, electric cars and all this stuff to like solve these problems. But yet there are still people who are like, I'm not going to go electric. I'm not going to do my sales process this way because of some emotion to your point, some mindset hello, <laughs> that we're, <laughs> we're talking about, right? And, um, and, it, and it's shocking when you really take a step back and you realize like, how are we not actually farther ahead? Because it feels like the technology should have pushed us there, right? But, it's, but mm. it comes back to like, we have to understand people and to your point, emotions and feelings and that sort of thing. So I'm wondering if you can kind of speak into that with the work that you're doing now uh, a little deeper. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely. And, you know, you, you mentioned shouldn't we be farther along? Shouldn't the technology propelled us further? It's just so interesting to me. Common in business, we talk about the intersection of people, process, technology. And that comes from, it's, it's, an, it's an old phrase and I forget, I was, just, I was just reading about it the other day, but I forget the exact origins of that phrase. But somewhere along the way, we've forgotten that people come first. They mm-hmm. really come first. You're right, we've got Zoom and all these other ways to connect. And yet people feel disconnected. This is not about the technology. It's about how we as people use it. So, you know, in terms of speaking to this mindset, I have it that as people, we're so focused first and foremost on the experience that we have. What's happening to me? How are you treating me? What Mm -hmm. is going to be for me? What's mine? How am I going to get what I need? Mm -hmm. So I want you to imagine that you've got a vertical axis and a horizontal axis, okay? It's like a standard chart. And on your vertical axis or your y-axis is the experience you have. The experience you have in life, any area of life. Now, it goes from zero to 10. If I were to ask you what kind of experience you want to have in life, what would you tell me, Hans, from zero to 10? How would you rate it? 10, baby, all day. 10, all day. 10, baby, (laughs) of course, a 10. Now, What people don't get is their constant focus on the experience they have, that mindset about the experience they have will never result in them having a 10. It's kind of a paradox. The more you focus on wanting a 10, the less likely you are to have a 10 because you get caught up in how people, yeah, you get caught up in how people have slighted you, how they mistreated you, they haven't given you what they promised, this, that, or the other thing. 
if you look at the, we haven't talked about the horizontal axis, the X axis. No, that is the, yeah, that's the experience you deliver. The emotional experience you deliver to others, the experience you deliver, as in every second of every day, whether you realize it or not, you are constantly leaving a wake of emotions behind you for people to feel. In the workplace, you know, it could be anything. Empowered, inspired, recognized, appreciated, valued, important, special, anything. Or it could be unimportant not valued, unappreciated, not recognized, not yeah. heard, not seen, any of those things. It, in, in any area of life, that's what's, you know, that and more is available. So we're focused on the experience we have. What we don't realize is that when we focus on the experience we deliver, that is when, and that's only when, we actually get the experience we want to have in the first place. So if you want a 10, if you want to have a 10, you've got to deliver a 10. People miss that. They don't get that. They don't get, you got to deliver 10. It's absolutely always equivalent. Whatever experience you're delivering, that's the experience you're going to have. Just think about it. Let's say someone slights you. They make you a promise. They don't keep it. Now, the experience I have is the promise wasn't kept. Now, I can focus on the experience I'm having and can blame that person for being a bad person and a liar and then keep their promise. And I could get really up and upset about it. And I'd probably tell them I'm having a two. I'm experiencing a two. Mm-hmm. And I'm yelling at this person. I'm telling you, oh, you're such a bad person. I hate you. You Why don't you keep your promise? Blah, 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 blah. Well, what experience am I delivering? Probably also a two. Somewhere, yeah. Somewhere around yeah. there. Maybe lower. Yeah. <laughs> well, and if it's lower, then the experience I'm having is even lower. Probably, the experience, yeah. yeah. the experience we have is always going to be corresponding equivalently to the experience we deliver. And that's the mindset that I create with the Emovation Project. Specifically, the experience you deliver is in the emotions you want to leave other people with. If you think about it, Hans... We kind of live life like it's happening to us. It's not intentional. We walk around and things happen and we feel how we feel. And we say things to people and we do things to people and we collaborate or not collaborate and we leave people the way we leave them. And that's just how life happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what if instead of just letting life happen, we happened to life and we said, all right, well, I actually can be intentional with the way I leave people. I can be intentional with the experiences, with the emotions that I'm creating for other people. Oh, Well, I want someone to feel inspired, empowered, and connected. What do I need to do to have them feel that way? Or I want my team to feel important. What can I do to have them feel important? I want them to feel heard. What can I do to have them feel heard? We don't operate that way. Instead, it's, I want to make sure this thing happens so that I have what I need to succeed. I want to make sure that we meet this deadline so I can say we've met the deadline so that I can have the success. You put that aside for a moment, just focus on the experience you're delivering. Things will happen the way you want them to happen because people will feel the way they need to feel to perform. Honestly, one of my favorite examples is what you share with me about your own experiences as an Olympic rower. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to get into that, but yeah, you know, bring it, dude. Bring it. But, I mean, I, I talk about that on the on the show all the time. So yeah, totally but, go there. You I mean you 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 share share with us once again, you know, as a rower on that team, you've talked about the environment. How did you feel as a member of that team? I've talked about the result and I've talked about all the disappointment, the fallout from that. But I will say I haven't talked about the training component of this. And, you know, if any of my teammates will listen to this, you know, if I'm wrong, hit me up and let me know. But I'm pretty sure you would agree. So basically, it was it was sort of a dog eat dog situation. We were obviously trying to come together as a team, but it was very 
Yeah, I mean, as uh, elite athletics are, it's very measured and calculated and you had to perform and you got points for winning and less points for the lower positions and you had to add all those up at the end of the season and then you got ranked and yada, yada. But more than that, there was a feeling of like self-preservation on the team. If you've ever watched the sport of rowing, everyone has to move together, put their oar in the water, take it out at the same exact time. It's a, it's a real nuanced timing sport in that way. And when you have stylistic differences and just core fundamental differences on like how to move the boat, which sounds kind of stupid because it's, you know, at elite anything, you'll get nuanced, right? But like these things matter when you're talking about seconds on the clock. And if you have, even if you have two different ideas in an eight person boat, like it's just going to be off just that little bit. And that's going to be the difference between gold medal and fourth. And ultimately our, our coaches fostered an environment of, and and our, the people above them fostered that environment. And then we were just like, shoot, I'm just trying to make the team, like just do whatever you got to do to make the boat go fast to win. Right. And then it holds. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then it just turned it into you know, very self-preservation and we, and we did our best and we ultimately came together, but like the foundation wasn't there for true cooperation and like one mindedness. Cause everyone had their opinion and it's like, Hey, got me this far. Let's, I'm just going to keep doing that at the end of the day. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you described it, you described it beautifully, right? So I really got the world of really competitive kind of surviving the training yeah, but Hans, if you were to like, if you were to go back to that and really describe how you felt, there you are, in the middle of training. Your coaches are saying whatever they're saying to you. How are you feeling in that moment? Take us back to that. Like, how did you feel? Yeah, the the feelings were certainly of of. Um, I mean, there the the typical stuff you would expect: pressure and frustration and that sort of thing. But but definitely like adversity almost with everybody it's like you you had this sort of headbutting constantly of not only are you trying to beat these people so you make the boat and that means they don't but then also just on a on a fundamental level it's like they're doing it wrong i'm doing it right and you, that's just sort of how you had to believe to survive in that in that environment and be be successful at it yeah well once you made the team though there was, I imagine at one point the team was formed right, and there was no more competition for who would be on the boat. Is that accurate? Yeah. Uh, it was named at a certain point. That's correct. Right. So once it was named and there you are, you're all on the team. How about then? I mean, cause I remember you talking to me about how you finished fourth and no one wants to finish. We want to finish a champion. Right. So right. what was that? And what were the, what were the feelings you experienced then? You know, you're in the middle of a training session with the team that's going to the Olympics you complete the training session. How do you feel walking out of the facility? What's, what's there for you? What were the emotions? What was going on? Yeah, man. So, some of the days it was, we really felt like we were killing it and it was going well. And then other days it was like, this guy's an idiot. That guy's doing this stupid thing, you know? And then it was, it was divisive just as many times as it was together and on. And as a team, we did come together and talk about things but there was also not a culture of like open, honest communication in that group. And I remember sitting in on certain meetings and like there was a hierarchy in that, in that team. And, you know, certain people had more freedom to speak and be taken seriously than others. And, you know, that's sort of how it is sometimes, but there were paths forward other than what we took. Mm. And at a certain point you just got to get on board and just go with it. 
but yeah but yeah. the open honest part you know being heard if like, someone who let's just say i'm in the minority and i can honestly like have you consider my point of view and then the group decides hey that makes sense but we want to go this other direction because of these other things you know that would have probably yielded a better result even if it wasn't my way which i'm willing to say i probably was wrong on many things just as many times as i was probably right so yeah there you go well but there right there you kind of nailed it so not everyone had the ability to feel heard and you felt divided as many times as you felt unified yeah. and what you and i talked about was you know there's some sort of i think you mentioned a toxic culture or what have you but going into a olympic race with the feeling of being divided and maybe even resentment building up from not being heard this entire time, resentment from not being, you know, your way not being addressed or even considered or not even given an, uh, any sort of room to come to light. Mm-hmm. Well, if everyone's rowing for themselves out there, you don't come in first, second, or third, do you? Yeah. I mean, that's not, you, yeah. You might sneak onto the bronze medal, maybe, but it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, and I have it that the environment, the culture you experience as a team is the responsibility of the leadership, not just the rowers, but mm-hmm. your coaches, your trainers, whoever else was involved. And I'm asserting that if you were all made to feel heard, if you were all made to feel appreciated, if you were all made to feel valued, and as opposed to feeling divided, you felt unified, mm-hmm. like you said, you had all the talent to win. Yep. The talent was undeniable. So the only thing you can look at is, all right, what was going on within the team? And what you said is divided, not heard, not necessarily everyone felt appreciated. And there you go. Recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Recipe for fourth. And, and I will say, like, I don't know if I've ever brought this up on the show, but I am not surprised by fourth. I was obviously deeply disappointed. I mean, we really could have, if we, if we would have brought it together, just a tweak here, a tweak there on the day you know, a medal was well within our, our reach, even with all of what we just talked about for the last five minutes. But when the pressure comes on, you know, when you're in front of the client, when you're trying to nail the big deal, when you're hiring or firing or whatever, or obviously when you're racing and it matters in that critical moment, probably going to revert back to whatever's easiest and whatever, whatever's natural in that case. And natural was sort of divided and not totally on the same page. Yeah. And, and the same thing happens in, in the workplace and it happens just about in any environment where you have people gathering, right? And what's natural is often a product of what's also reinforced. Yeah. So if it's natural for everyone to work on their own because there's this feeling of being divided, of competition, of you don't have my back, that's what yeah. happens. And it really does happen in, in, in the corporate world as well. And many businesses have environments just like this and you know, like I said, and I'm, I'm there and we're co-creating these inspiring experiences and all this guy can think about is how he's not treated the way he's being asked to treat his customers. Where is his attention? Squarely on his own experience. And is that wrong? Not at all. It's not wrong. It just mm-hmm. shows though that there's a gap in what's being provided to the team such that they will cooperate and provide the kind of experience that would yield a winning business or an even more profitable business. Yeah. I'm struck by this thing I heard that Gary Keller brought up, who has a killer podcast, by the way. So it's called Think Like a CEO. So go check that out if you're at all interested in learning how to run an amazing business by an amazing business person. However, he brought something up that there was a study in most organizations you've got, I think it was like the top 
30-ish percent of people typically are like very effectively helping move the mission of the business forward. You know, there's a middle percentage who's kind of neutral. And then there's always like a 10 or 15 percent at the bottom who are like actively trying to disempower people from doing a good job or keep the, the business from actually achieving their goals. And I can only imagine that's due to this like self focused thing. And then, and then a lack of uh, culture where people are being given the tools to deliver the experiences that they actually want and that they're focused on. Is that something you would agree with or not? Well, I'm not familiar with the particular study, but I will say there are tons scores of employee engagement studies that would say that in any organization, you're going to have a component of the organization they would call actively disengaged. And yeah, yeah. The people who are actively disengaged go out of their way by this definition to disempower other folks or speak poorly about the organization. In, in other words, you know, said another way, sabotage what the company is yep. up to. And yeah, part of it is definitely people engaging that behavior are absolutely focused on the experience they have. I mean, look, it's, it's basic human nature to be focused on the experience we have. It takes something to focus on the experience we're delivering. It takes something to be intentional about how we lead people. That really takes something. It's something I've observed and I'm not even perfect at it. You know, yeah. my whole company's based on this and I'm not perfect at it. I make mistakes every single day getting caught up in the experience I have. Yeah, so to answer your question, keep on that line for a moment. Yes, it's, it's, it's exactly as you said. You got people who are focused on the experience they have and then you've got leaders who are ill-equipped to actually find out why are they feeling the way they're feeling and how is it they're feeling in the first place. And that's the first step towards building a winning culture, really. You want to build a high-performance culture, you got to know how people in your organization are feeling. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, how are they feeling? And why is it that they're feeling that way? Then and only then can you actually say, okay, I got how you're feeling. I'm clear. I know why you're feeling that way. Well, look, here's what I want you to know. Moving forward, the foundation is we're going to have you feel X, Y, Z. That's what mm-hmm. we want. And then the next step after that is you got to generate the ideas to make people feel that way. And you can even include the folks who are disengaged, the ones who are disempowering others in that conversation. What would it take to have you feel inspired, connected, empowered, or again, X, Y, Z, whatever you say. Mm-hmm. And then it's, upon, it's, it's incumbent on the leadership to take what they came up with, the foundation, the ideas they generated, and then activate. Activate that and make that real. That's how you create a winning culture. That's, those are the four steps. You find out what's going on, what's the situation, you establish a new foundation, you generate ideas through a process of you know, ideation or generation, then you create a plan. It's all about activating, activation of, of that strategy, of those tactics. So yeah, I would, I would agree with Gary. There are people in an organization that are feeling excluded and wronged and not important and undervalued. So yeah, they will speak up and they'll kick up dirt. And leadership is all about what you do about that. And it's not yeah. yelling at them. It's not blaming them. It's not faulting them. It's really giving them a space to be heard for once. Awesome. If you know Gary send this to him because I think he'd love to hear it (laughs) that we're agreeing with him. But um, in any event, you know, there's two things that I'm struck by and I want to go there before we wrap up for the day. One is, and I'll start here, is the organization to like step one, gather the information. I'm thinking to myself on the other side of it, like in the, in going back to the rowing thing, if my coaches would have said, and to their credit, he did try and do this once. I don't think it really got what he wanted out of it, but the attempt was there. But basically to, to close the door, you know, put all the cell phones away and have really straight talk and let people air their grievances and tell what they were feeling, to your point, he really tried to do that. And 
I think it got out of control a little bit and it didn't quite get him where he wanted to go with the whole team, but there was a group of us who kind of saw the power in it. And and ultimately, frankly, those are the people who made the vote. But in an organization, the fear would be if I air my grievances, I'm going to be fired. I'm going to be ousted or I'm not going to get the leads or whatever. Right? Like how do you foster that communicate? Like how do you start to foster that communication when there hasn't been any in the, in the past? Yeah. So what I'd say to anyone who's trying to kick this off and they haven't done it before and they know that there's some people who are upset, you kind of got to take responsibility for how things have gone. So let's say Hans, let's say that you're someone in my company and I know you're upset about something. I've never asked you before how it is for you. Okay. Right. I've never done mm-hmm. that. Okay. I would actually, and this is what I'd ask people who are listening to follow this, this method. I'd say, Hey, look, I'm under the impression that there's something going on in the workplace for you that isn't really working as well as you'd like it to. And I get that I have never shown interest in finding out what's going on for you. I haven't, but that stops right now. You might not believe me when I say this, but you are too valuable, too important. We brought you into this company for a reason and we don't want you going anywhere. Your contribution is so, so important. I really just want to know what's there for you. How, how have things been? Really just get it on the table. I'm, I'm here to listen. If that was you, how would you respond to that, Hans? I suppose it depends on the, on the backstory, but I would be somewhere between like shocked and like, is this a trick? I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause, cause it sounds almost, it's like, well, so what's there is authenticity, right? Right. People aren't very authentic. They pretend like things haven't been happening. Like, you know, if you want to go, you want to go up to someone you haven't had communication with and you want to pretend to be there for them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just avoid acknowledging anything that's actually happened? do that and they'll feel like you're being fake like you they've always thought you were fake but go in there and actually be responsible for the experience of another and they'll get you mean business and they might be a little shocked yeah they might be a little shocked and if they have stage fright and they can't talk then the best thing i'd offer is all right be vulnerable and share something about yourself give like share give them access yeah. to what kind of conversation you're about to have but you know here's what i'd say hans just because there've been X number of days without proper communication doesn't mean anything about the next day's worth of communication. If there was a year's worth of time where things weren't going the way they should be going or the way you'd want them to go, that means nothing about the next day or the next day after that. In reality, we like to make up that the way things have gone is the way things they'll be, but that's not actually how, that's not actually how it goes. We, yeah. we get to say, so the moment someone has the courage to be straight and authentic with someone else is the moment they can actually open up the conversation to something that can move the situation forward. So that's what I'd say is you, you got to have the courage to really acknowledge what's already there. Stop pretending. It's not going to yeah. do you any good. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Let's just say, and then this is where I kind of want to wrap up with you because I want to respect the rest of your day. But let's just say someone's listening to this and they're not in their head for the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And they're like, yeah, this is, this is resonating. I need to address feelings. It's not just all about, you know, efficiency and technology and yada, yada. But they're either inside of an organization or they're an entrepreneur, army of one, starting their own thing or whatever. There's something else. Like how can someone go from being focused on that Y axis of me, of I, right? Over and start thinking like, how do I deliver experiences that are equivalent to what I want to have show up in my life? Like, how can I actually start that myself right now? Mm-hmm. 
the way you started by asking the people you serve, whether it's your colleagues or your customers or your employees, whomever those people might be, even in your personal life, your wife, your girlfriend, your kids, what's it like to have to work with me? What's it like for you to be married to me? What's it like for you to be my friend? What's that like for you, really? Like, you know, every week I send you the same report and you never say a word about it. What is it like for you? What's, what is it like to interact with me on the phone? What's it like to receive my emails? What's it like to watch me in a meeting? How is that for you? You go ask the people you work with, that you live with, that you, you know, spend time with those questions. That is how you start focusing on their experience. That's all it takes. You got to find out the situation. It always goes back to how people are left already. Then you can have some power around how you want to lead people moving forward. But if you're not aware and present to how it is for others already, and that requires you to solicit their feedback, you don't have a shot. You don't have a shot. And that's, you know, Hans, I've done a lot of work with a lot of big companies. And one of the first things that I've observed in any of the trainings I've done with any of these companies is people don't ask the people they serve for feedback. They don't do it. They wait for the annual performance process, which really doesn't cover the daily grind. Mm -hmm. People don't know how they leave others. So if you want to start getting in another person's world and take on that X-axis, you want to be able to craft how you're leaving others, you got to find out how you've been leaving them in the first place. Otherwise, you'll do what you've always done. So you got to take the brave step. You got to take that very brave and courageous step of asking people, how do I leave you? when I send you this email, when I cross you in the hall, when I am in a meeting with you, when I'm having our one-on-one conversations, whatever it is, find out how you leave them. That's the first step. You got to find out the situation. And that's, that's awesome. And obviously requires a serious amount of vulnerability and a little bit of bravery as well, because to take that step to be the initiator in that case, I mean, A, you will come out of the other side of that if you do take the bravery step and do it way better than you entered into it. And you might even start a little bit of a chain reaction with that other person to get them excited about doing it themselves. What do you know about that? Then you can be maybe a force for change in your corner of the world, in your little part of it that maybe then starts to expand. What a cool concept. Oh, Hans, I just got to say though, the way you said it's perfect because what you just talked about is happening to life as opposed to letting life happen. See, the alternative to what you just suggested, the alternative is to let things be. Just let things happen the way they're going to happen. You know, just, just wait around, just see how it goes. Or you can happen to life and make something move by taking that first step. Nothing happened by waiting. <laughs> things don't happen yeah. by waiting. It's yeah. so cool just to round this out. Like you're, you're, I'm just thinking further about your analogy of the graph, right? The Y and the X axis and everyone, it's like the, the Y axis is the one that's like right in front of your face all the time. And you, and you feel it, you know it, you could, you could identify it, talk about that all day, but then it's the X axis, the, the way you make others feel is actually the one that you have the influence over. You don't have any influence over the Y, it's the X, but the X is hidden. It's yes. like, it's not, it's not the one that's, that's obvious in front of your face. You have to go search for it. You have to really dig a little deeper and uncover it and then talk to other people and get their opinion, engage to then improve it so that your why starts to go up. You nailed it. It's a blind spot. The X is a blind spot. What, you don't, what people don't already get is it's the experience they deliver that is controlling the experience they have today. But like you said, that's the thing right in front of your face. The experience I have, the experience I have. How do I influence the experience I have? Let me just focus on more of what I don't have and let me hit how I want it. And they just go about the life trying to get what they need, rolling over everybody, running over everybody, stampeding over everybody. And then they have a terrible experience in doing that. Even the people who amass amounts, you know, crazy amounts of success, 
who've lived their life that way, at the end, they're still not satisfied because the experience they delivered this whole time was garbage. Mm-hmm. And so they still and, feel like garbage. And you can steamroll your way to success. You can muscle your way into it. There's absolutely no doubt about that. However, to your point, the satisfaction you get at the end of it is going to be determined by that X and you can do it both ways. That's the beautiful thing. You can do it both ways. That is a beautiful thing. You nailed it. You nailed it. Danny, this has been super awesome. I want to respect the rest of your time and transition us into the final segment of the show called the Focus Five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? I am ready. First question, what book have you gifted most often? Well, the book that I would gift most often would be Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was a game changer for me uh, three years into my consulting career where I got present to the experience I was delivering and it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. And that book got me present to how, how I could influence the experience I deliver so that I could have the experience that I want to have. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Well, I think it would be the, the founding fathers of the United States, especially given what we're dealing with right now. I really want to dig into what they meant when they wrote the Declaration of Independence. Do they really have it that all men are created equal? Like, really? And I'd want to understand how they would view today's situation, today's landscape. And I would want to know how they'd weigh in on it. If they could, they could see how the future would pan out, would they create, would they really lay it out and spell it out so that everyone understood that all men are created equal and all women are also created equal and that all yeah. men are equal to all women? You know, I, I wanted, I'd want to know what their thoughts were on that and who, who really were the people that founded this country. Awesome, I want to know man. about that. That's a killer answer. I love it. What is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? I think it's the, the philosophy for the business that I've got in the first place, which is the experience we deliver is what gives us the experience we have and that a focus on the experience we deliver, the emotions we leave others with is what will result in the experience we have. I think because a lot of people are, as you said, it's hidden. The experience we deliver is hidden. They would disagree. You know, I think at first a lot of people disagree that like, emotions are the key to our performance. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing, you know, people power a business's profits because a business, a business is nothing but the performance of its people. So people really do power profits. And I think a lot of people on first glance would disagree with that. Man, that's, that's all awesome. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you like to start your day? Well, uh, I don't have a great answer for you on this one because lately my morning routine has been so varied, you know, it's been Mm. scattered. It's nothing. And it's actually something I'm out to work on. Uh, I've got, I've got someone I'm partnered with who's, who's been talking about how I need to show up every day consistently in order to achieve the kinds of results that I want to have. And so part of that is in the experience I deliver, the experience I deliver to myself, he wants me to feel a sense of consistency and that's completely absent. So there is no morning routine. There's coffee. Sometimes there's waking up this time. There's waking up that time. There's taking the dog out. There's watching, you know, whatever, whatever. there's no routine. The routine is lack of routine. <laughs> that's why I asked the question, man. Cause I get all kinds of answers and it's, and it's okay to not do 5am yoga, standing on your head, drinking a green smoothie. Cause that's not the only way to start your day. <laughs> Yes. Yes. But I, I, do, I, do, I do value and enjoy consistency. I just haven't been putting it in place. That's something that's missing that I'm out to yeah. work on. Right on. What is the best place online that we can connect with you, Danny? Yep. So 
emovationproject.com forward slash brilliant. There you can access a free resource, the Situation Launch Guide, where I give you the different steps you can take to get the situation in your workplace or anywhere in your life, really. You know, how are people feeling and why? And for those of you in the workplace, I also give the exact questions that my company used with a shipping client doing tens of millions of dollars of business a year. And from this survey, they generated 92 different employee experience innovation initiatives because they were really present to how people were feeling and what would, what would elevate the experience they were delivering to their people. So that's the situation launch guide, emovationproject.com forward slash brilliant. And of course, you know, following me on LinkedIn is a great way to see where, where I've been. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to link up to all of that down in the show notes, guys. So it's easy to find. You can go check out LinkedIn, the website, and all the cool stuff he has up there. Danny, man, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate you just knocked it out of the park with all the value you brought. So thank you. Ah, you're welcome. It's really a pleasure to be here, Hans. Thanks so much for having me. And that's a wrap for today. If you guys want to connect with Danny, show notes is the place to do that. He's got some great stuff on his uh, website. Also, you can connect with him on LinkedIn, all down in the show notes. And I'd really love to hear from you on your feedback for this episode. So if you wouldn't mind, go to hansstrazina.com slash podcast and you can uh, send me a quick message. Tell me what you think about the new format, um, what questions I should answer, what things you're really curious about, what guests I should get on, all that sort of stuff. Um, And obviously, if you get value, please leave a review saying as much because it really helps me grow and know what I'm doing well and what I need to improve on. So thanks in advance for that. And I'm going to sign it off. So this is another way to play. I'm your host, Hans Strazina. And remember to make every chapter better than the last.